0: I'm Katherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Dr. Jacqueline Jones, author and associate professor of clinical otolaryngology at Weill Cornell, Cornell Medical College. Her new book is Medical Parenting, How to Navigate Health, Wellness, and the Medical System with Your Child. As one of America's top doctors, a mother of two grown children, and a physician and surgeon with over 25 years' experience, Dr. Jacqueline Jones understands that there is no greater responsibility as a parent than ensuring your child's optimum health. She helps parents connect with their children on a personal level as they grow towards adulthood and find their way through the maze of today's medical system. Dr. Jones trained as a physician at Cornell Medical College and completed her surgical training at the University of Pennsylvania and Harvard Medical School. Among her many professional awards are the Compassionate Physician Award, Yelp Patient Satisfaction Award, Best Doctors in America, Top 100 Black Doctors in America, Talk of the Town Award, Who's Who in America, and Castle Conley, America's Top Doctors. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Dr. Jones, that's quite a list of accolades. <laughs> um, I, my first question is, I think one of the things that you've said, that the information age in particular has overwhelmed parents and the medical system has become far more, say, complex than it used to be. So uh, I think the first question is, why is this medical system today so challenging, difficult, and frightening to navigate for the average parent?
1: I think one of the reasons why it's so difficult for any parent is the amount of information that we have access to. You know, you type in Google, neck, neck mass in, on Google, gives you the first three choices are cancer. And, you know, any parent, when they go to Google, it always comes up the worst thing and it, it just, it's overwhelming for most parents. So there's no filter on the information. It's hard for parents to sort of sift through it. So I think that makes it much more difficult.
0: So hence, I assume writing this book for parents is going to be helpful. So it will provide them with some kind of a filter, even when they're Googling, if they have your book as a guide sort of to help them to navigate this system.
1: That's what I hoped. And, you know, I was in in the um, office yesterday with uh, a new mother and we were talking about feeding and, you know, the, the challenges that she was having. And she said, isn't there a YouTube video on and how to raise your kid?" I said, no, I really don't think there's a YouTube video on, on every <laughs> aspect of how to raise your kid. But that's really what parents need. They need a guide like this that goes over step by step how you choose a pediatrician, how you interact with that pediatrician, and what you do if, God forbid, your child is diagnosed with a serious illness, how you do you prepare your child for surgery. And I go through other things. It's how to choose a nanny, nutrition, how to survive the adolescent years, and how to finally let your child go as they transition off to college. So I tried through my 30 years of experience in being a mom and being a physician to hit on all the big points that I've suffered through and I know that so many parents suffer through.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that because that's the personal part you all, one doesn't always get when you're looking through the kind of book that you've written, guidebooks for, uh, well, in this case, medical parent, but in any book that sort of even if it's for adults guiding you and navigating through the system. But you're a mom, so how did that impact specifically your writing this book? What kind of insights did it give you um, in addition to being a physician and professional but also a mom?
1: You know, I think that we all know that um, parenthood is one of those things that it's really hard not to be emotional about your child. And it 's really hard to make sometimes those difficult decisions without having a lot of emotion come into it and I think that being a mom has made me a much better physician when I because I understand what parents are going through. I understand the depth of their anxiety and the depth of their concern and overall the depth of their love there is not Anything that I or any parent would do would not do for their child, we love them to distraction, so I wanted to make sure the parents understood every stupid mistake that you 've made i 've already been there i 've already done it I have a twenty eight year old and a twenty four year old and and i 've lived it, so I understand what you 're going through. And also having the experience of being a physician has helped me to look at it from both sides, from being a mother from being a physician. And I hope really give parents good information to help them navigate this system.
0: What are some of the most difficult situations that you face? You just li- listed, you know, several very specific categories: choosing a physician, you know, interacting with your physician, all of those kinds of things. Um, and and there's a whole list, obviously, that you cover in your book. But what, like, what has been the most difficult for you in terms of you've been in practice for all this time, 25 years' experience? What are the kinds of issues that have come up that you're like, hmm? This is really difficult, both as a physician and my own experience as a mom and realizing what, an, what kind of an outcome um, that mm-hmm. you, yeah.
1: It's really hard to tell parents that their child has a serious illness. No one ever wants to look at a 2- or a 3-year-old or a 4-year-old and think that they're going to have to go through months or even years of treatment that could be painful, uh, and surgery, surgery, and, and you know, as a mom, as a parent, wouldn't we love to take that that suffering on to ourselves? Wouldn't we love to spare our child from going through any type of pain or any type of suffering? Wouldn't we, wouldn't we love their lives to be perfect? But that isn't always the way that it is. And I think that's one of the hardest things for parents, any parent to go through, is to watch their child have any discomfort or to suffer in any way. So, as a mom, as a physician, that's the hardest thing that we deal with.
0: What about a child who's having surgery? How do you? Uh, what kinds of questions should parents be asking um, if their child, you know, has to have surgery? Uh, what should they be asking you? What should they be asking their pediatrician or their surgeon?
1: Well, the first thing is, you know, your your pediatrician is really the captain of the team. They're the person who is going to help to orchestrate your child's care. To refer you to a specialist when the specialist gives a report to come back and help you interpret that specialist's recommendations to help you to make that decision so we really want to first you know find a pediatrician who you really love and that you're going to feel like you can marry, be married to for 18 years so that's sort of the, the big big thing and then when your child needs to refer to a specialist you know choose get two or three specialists and if your child needs surgery Meet with that specialist and make sure that it's a good connection, that someone who's patient, that someone who can explain what the problem is and what's the best way to rectify that problem to fix it. And then go through step by step what the stages are in getting you and your child ready for surgery, how surgery is going to be performed and what are the things, possible outcomes, both good and bad, that could occur. No, so what's the recovery? What should you expect? And are they going to be there for you through that recovery? So finding someone who you really feel you connect with, and that is a good communicator.
0: I want to go back to I don't know go back to, but first you mentioned yes, you have to have a good pediatrician and a great rapport, a good good rapport with your pediatrician. What do you do when you have a pediatrician who has a great reputation in terms of treating patients? children um and but you don't connect as a parent with this pediatrician do you stick with them because he or she has this great reputation or do you move on
1: i I think in most cases you move on now you know i'm very lucky being in new york city there's you know a multitude of doctors i can choose from some of your listeners may be in other parts of the country where there's only one big pediatric practice so you know they may not have the choice of moving to another practice, but finding another pediatrician within that group if you don't have the ability to move to another practice is also an option. It's really, really important that you connect with the pediatrician.
0: So in And other that words, they understand it, you. Okay. So you have so that's key. So you start with that. Okay, so what you're saying is you have more choices if you live in a larger area, but I think that's a good suggestion. Maybe you can switch to a different pediatrician within the same practice if if that's your only choice um because i think sometimes parents are afraid to do that they don't want to, if if they they don't want to, they're afraid of offending the pediatrician because uh you know he or she is taking care of their child so they don't want to you know rock the boat but i guess what you're saying is maybe the pediatrician won't be offended maybe they don't get along so well with the parents either <laughs> um so there's not a chemistry
1: yeah, and I think as, as physicians, we know not everyone has the same rapport, the same chemistry, and we don't want to go into a relationship where there isn't that chemistry because it makes it harder for us as well. So I think that, you know, 99.9% of physicians aren't going to be offended if you, if you, you switch you just say it wasn't a good match. You know, that doesn't mean they weren't a great doctor. There's someone else who's going to be a wonderful match for them.
0: What are some of the, like, let's get specific about pediatricians because you said that that really is key. That's one of, obviously, the most important doctors you have for your kids. Um What are those specific things you have to look for besides having that chemistry in choosing the pediatrician? Are there doctors, for instance, who do better working with um a single, uh, like a single child, or with twins at multiple births, children's with dis- children with disabilities. Um, sh- are those specific kinds of things One, when you're picking a pediatrician you look for, doctors who maybe specialize?
1: You know, I think if your child has a special need, let's say your child was adopted from a foreign country, and you need to have a pediatrician who's really versed in looking at at your child from a sort of global health perspective. So that's a special niche. If, God forbid, your child is diagnosed with a really serious medical condition and you need someone who has more academic experience and more connections to the big medical center, that that's another sort of niche. But the vast majority of people, thank goodness, you know, are going to have healthy children. And then it's looking at your personality. What do you need? Do you need a pediatrician who's going to spend a lot of time with you, who's going to be there for you, and you really want to see the same pediatrician all the time? Or maybe you're the type of of mom or dad who needs to choose a smaller practice or a concierge practice rather than a big medical practice. If this is your fourth child and you've just moved to a new area and you've got this, and you're fine with a big practice where you may see different pediatricians or nurse practitioners, um, then that would be the type of practice that you might choose. So you really have to know yourself. And I think one of the things that I really tried to stress in my book, Medical Parenting, is that parents really take the time to interview several pediatricians. And try and do that before your child is born for your first child because once your child arrives home, it's really hard. As many of us know, those first couple of weeks and months are just going from one task to another. So taking the time to interview pediatricians and make that really educated decision is best before the baby arrives.
0: What about philosophy? Do pediatricians have different philosophies? Um, I don't know that there are any um, that don't agree with nursing. That's... Uh, but some maybe are more supportive when it comes to nursing your babies, others maybe not so much, because that's a big thing, a big issue in parenting. Uh, Do you you take a look at those kinds of things? or, um Catherine,
1: that's so important, and thank you for bringing that up. You know, that really is a very, very important point in choosing a pediatrician. It's finding a pediatrician that fits with your philosophy. Some parents, you know, Want to breastfeed the vast majority of moms do want to breastfeed, but some don 't and you want, may want to have a pediatrician that 's fine with you thinking about you know using formula you know some parents don 't want to circumcise their newborn boys you know okay that 's another option, and you want to find a pediatrician who may be open for that. A lot of parents don 't want to use antibiotics, and we all know in this day and age the risks of using um, antibiotics and the over- overgrowth of resistant bacteria. So choosing a practice where they may be more in tune to more natural medications. So knowing yourself and, again, finding someone who sort of reflects your values and what you want for your child.
0: And we've been talking sort of the beginning of choosing your pediatrician. Maybe now can we sort of move forward a little bit and talk about because I know you you discuss this also in your book, how do you, you what about teenagers because they're still not adults, they're still going to pediatricians, um still needing medical attention and it's gotten, you know, from, you know, your parents are the ones who usually cho- choose the doctors. Um and sometimes teenagers really don't want to talk about their health to their parents um, or talk about a lot of different kinds of things. So let's talk about that, medical parenting with teenagers. You know,
1: um, you know I have parents of, you know, two- and three-year-old kids who come in and say, oh, my goodness, this is so, so hard. And I think to myself, you have no idea what it's like to raise a teenager. This is easy compared to teenager. Little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. Big problems. So, yes. Yeah, yeah, raising a teenager is really a challenge. But, you know, we want to try and get them to buy into taking responsibility for their life. And their medical health and their medical care is such a big part of becoming an adult. You know, I had a call, you know, about an hour ago, and I'm seeing patients today, from a mom of a 26-year-old young man, and she was trying to arrange an appointment and get his x-rays set up. I'm thinking to myself, this is not the best thing, you know, especially at 26. That, you know, young man should really be taking responsibility for his health. And as parents, by not allowing our children to grow up, it doesn't set them up for being healthy, mature, competent adults. It says to them, you can't do this. So I really, really um, stress to parents. You know, each child is different, but 13, 14, 15, help them to become involved. And one of the first things is, is you need to make a. Uh, we need to make an appointment with your pediatrician. When would you like to go? What's convenient for you? And have them give you a couple of times. At 13, 14, maybe you want to make that appointment. But they've bought in. And then the day of the appointment, remind them. Shall I meet you there? Great. That gives them the responsibility for getting there on their own. Or what time would you like me to pick you up? Your appointment is such. Again, giving them some ownership. It's really important as they get older to give them time to bond with their pediatrician. So taking some time, especially with the 16, 17, 18-year-olds who may have questions about things that, they don't want to talk about in front of you, whether that be their sexual maturation, how they interact with the other sex, um, alcohol, God forbid drugs. We really want them to have that opportunity to develop that relationship with someone other than you who's non-judgmental, who can give them good advice And who, if they don't want to talk about these things, and especially if there's a crisis, has someone else to turn to? So it's a great opportunity as they grow. Hand over those reins. Give them some responsibility.
0: I think that's key, and I've had that experience myself. I've raised three boys. I have three very young grandsons, and I think that point is well taken. I remember one of my sons had eye surgery once at a top hospital in Boston, and the young physician who was asking the questions, it wasn't the it was, uh, you know, a younger, probably just starting out, um, an intern. And he, I'm in the room, and he's asking those kinds of questions that you just mentioned about sex, drugs, all of those things. And, of course, my son's not going to answer those questions in front of me. He needed to ask me to leave the room, um, and then he would get, I mean, I'm a social worker, so I was sort of, I was attuned to that, but I think that really is key, um, and that, I also have a question about teenagers, another question, because what about teenagers who, I mean, there are phys- birth control, sex, pre, you know, how does that work? I mean, in terms of giving information to 16-, 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds, how does that work, both, I guess, as a information, private, legal? If you're, uh, um, how do you handle that? Or how do you, what are you? So below
1: that? 18, and you know, having raised children, that yep. below 18 years of age, you have access to everything. So if you want to, you can refuse to leave the room. You can get access to any type of information that you want. But what type of relationship does that set up with your kids If you are sending the message that I don't trust you, that I don't trust that you can take responsibility uh, for your actions, I think that as a mom and as a dad uh, and even as a grandparent, we want to enable our children to make wise decisions, but they need to get that information. So I think you, you can get that information, you can be in the room, but you need to take the time to Not be insulted, leave the room, and have the pediatrician really develop that relationship and impart that information and hope that your child will listen.
0: The last part of that, hope that your child will listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> I think that is key, actually. Okay, we're hoping that they listen. Now they get into college because we know that's the next step, right? Um And I, I think one of the questions, what do you do in terms of, and especially with some of these helicopter parents, as I'm describing them, like monitoring, moder- moder- monitoring your child's, Health when they're in college, do you do it? I mean physical mental at what point do you break away and you're not involved or engaged? how does that or how does that work
1: well, after eighteen, your access to your child is really cut off um, you cannot get access to their medical information unless you uh, declare them on your taxes. You can't get information to their grades. You know, I, I have a whole chapter in my book and a bunch of forms that I recommend parents have signed before their child leaves for college. And that's a FERPA form, which gives you access to their grades as well as to their um, to their dean, to their um, to the disability office, to the health office, and you have to be. Um, The word I'm looking for is sensitive, but you also, if there's a problem at school, you need to get access. And, you know, one of the stories that I talk about in my book is my son was in a car accident when he was at college, and I got that call that no mom wants to get at 3 a.m., and I got in the car, and I drove to his college, which, thank goodness, was only two hours away, and I strode into the emergency room, and I said, Hi, I'm Dr. Jones. I'm here to see my son, and I want to see him now. the nurse said, you sit down. You you know, he's an adult. We'll, We'll call you when we're ready to have you see him. And I sat there for six hours waiting to see my child after a car accident. And it was seriously the longest six hours of my entire life. And if I had thought about it, and I'm a physician, I should have known this. If I had thought about it and had my... For before my release of medical information form, my power of attorney form, had those all signed and had them on my phone, I would have been in to see my child within fifteen minutes.
0: This way, and I what I'm thinking is, you're a physician, and they're doing that to you. Yeah, just the ordinary lay person, which you know most of us are, um, you know, it's. I think even I don't know if it could be far more difficult than that because you're waiting hours to see your son who's been in a car accident, but. Uh, you know, that's how the av- the, oh, that's a, and, yeah. And so that's good. So anyway, in the book, I think that you have all of the forms uh, uh, that need to be signed before your son or daughter does go to school. Okay. We have like not that much time left. So anything that you want to like uh, that we haven't, I mean, there's so much we haven't, obviously we haven't covered everything in the book, but we have three minutes left. Anything that you want to leave the audience with that you think it's important and first of all, to buy the book, uh, Medical Parenting, How to Navigate Health, Wellness, and the Medical System with Your Child, and we're talking to Dr. Jacqueline Jones. Um, Leave us with something that... So
1: I'm going to end with a quote, um, because, uh, you know, this is a quote I found, but it really speaks so much to why I feel this book is so important. So it's from Marissa De Los Santos, the author of Love Walked In. No one is ever quite ready. Everyone is always caught off guard. Parenthood chooses you, and you open your eyes, look at what you've got, and say, oh, my gosh. And recognize that of all the balls that, that ever were, this is the one you should not drop. It is not a question of choice. And again, there is nothing that we wouldn't do for our children, but you can't do it without the right type of information. And that's what I wanted this book to import. Appearance, parents, a guide to how you go step by step in caring for the most important being in your life, your child.
0: That's a great message to leave us with. Now, give us the specific websites we can go to also for more information.
1: And so my website for my book is medicalparenting.com, all one word. And that will also link you to my website for my medical practice, for any of your listeners who are in the tri-state area, um, we, I'd love to meet any of your listeners in my practice, and I hope they will take the time to read the book. It right. was really Thank- a joy to write.
0: Well, it was a joy talking to you. tri-state, and we have to tri-state could be in many places. So tr- we're talking about New, yeah. New York. Yeah, sorry, sorry, the Jersey, tri-state New- area. I'm a New yeah. Yorker:
1: New York, <laughs> Connecticut, New Jersey.
0: Right, right, good, great. Thanks so much.
1: It was a pleasure. Thanks again for having me. Yep.
0: Dr. Jacqueline Jones.